let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolayo. Hello and thanks for joining. Today we'll hear about a very important aspect of our digital lives, which is privacy. And for that, we have an expert in the topic. So let me introduce you, Julian Hayes. He's an expert in data privacy with more than 20 years of experience, which includes working for telecommunications big players such as Vodafone and Nokia. Today, he is the managing director of Veneto Privacy Services, a consulting company based in Dublin, Ireland. Hello, Julian. Oscar, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure having, having you and talking with you, Julian. And yeah, please tell us a bit more what is, has been your journey until today you have your own consulting company, Veneto. Great. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And I know that today's subject on Brexit and GDPR and data privacy generally should be an interesting discussion and listening material for your subscribers. So, so Veneto Privacy is in business now three years. So prior to, to its establishment, I was a data protection officer for Vodafone in the UK and in Ireland predominantly. So really, I guess I was working in, in data privacy before it became such an issue of concern in terms of you know how personal information is obtained and processed. Um, so it's kind of, it grew from my own kind of professional experience. It, it grew from about 2004 and then in 2010, it really kicked off as a, as a major issue. So data protection laws have been in place for, for decades. So it's not that it was any type of new realization, but there has been an increased focus, I think, from 2010 on uh, data privacy and the importance of respecting personal information from a customer perspective. So, so yeah, so we're based in Dublin and we service companies in Europe and in the US. And we were basically a 24-7 type of operation, working in multiple time zones, still a, a small consultancy business, and we're very much specialized in commerce-related personal data processing and GDPR obligations. And as we've seen, there are many regions within the world that are implementing similar type of data protection law, you know, in the style of GDPR, which is seen as kind of the, the best in practice operation. Yeah, but very interesting. You have uh, 24-7 operations. Well, that sounds like uh, pretty, pretty challenging. And tell us a bit the experience you have today with working in Veneto, your own company. What are the main challenges that this, this customer you have today have? With the anticipation of the 25th of May 2018, there was a huge focus from companies to get compliant with GDPR. And I remember often there were customers who would say, well, you know, is, is it just another Y2K? Is it just another type of uh, hype situation? But the difference between Y2K and GDPR is that GDPR was actually law um, and Y2K was a, a theory, you know, in the wild. Um, so I think that's the, the major kind of challenge, just, you know, preparations for establishing the basics of good data processing operations, whether you're a data controller or a data processor. So that's really important to, to be able to nail that down and, we spent a lot of time actually clearing up a lot of bad advice. So there, there were a lot of newcomers to the market from a consultancy perspective that maybe didn't have the, the kind of experience or skills to be able to really 
you know, effectively operate in a concise way to be able to deliver on proper advice for companies as to what the basic steps were to implement the necessary changes to meet the regulations. So, yeah, so I think there was a lot of kind of handholding and, you know, reassurance, especially when it comes to the establishment of your, your risk strategy. You know, so, you know, if you're a pharmaceutical business processing medical data or a pension business processing, you know, more sensitive data, then, you know, the risks apply different to you than they would for, say, if you're a retailer with, you know, CCTV or other kind of not so invasive data processing operations. So, so there's kind of a recalibration exercise that you need to go through with customers to say, these are the risks you face. Sure, you know, the fines are very punitive and eye-wateringly high, but at the same time, you need to be able to, to realize, you know, what the best necessary steps are for you to, to kind of meet those basic requirements from a compliance perspective. And how you work with customers who already got fines, or that, that's too early for that? Well, I've, I've worked professionally, so uh, you know, I've, I've obviously been working as a data privacy professional internally in organizations, and sure, you're, you're faced with fines. But I think you know, predominantly, the biggest risk from a GDPR perspective is the pending investigation or interference from a regulator into your data processing activities, which they're fully entitled to do. And people often talk about the two and four percent of your turnover, you know, as being the big kind of you know scare factors in terms of what could go wrong. But at the same time, if you think about it, there are other powers under data protection law in terms of you know cease processing order, which basically is a bar on data processing um, if the regulator thinks that the processing is illegal. So there's a major case ongoing in Ireland at the moment in relation to the public services card. So that will be similar to the, the Kela type of operation in Finland. And so there was a basically a, a, an introduction of a identification card, but the Data Protection Commission found that there was no real legal basis on the nature of the data processing. And there was in fact kind of scope creep across what the card could be used for um, from its initial conception. So they're the kind of challenges that are faced I think businesses, big and small, need to take reasonable measures. And in Veneto, we're kind of in the solutions mode. So we have statutory obligations where we provide uh, data protection officer services uh, for our businesses, which we must meet. But at the same time, if you're providing then advice to other businesses, you need to give real practical solutions as to what basic measures are needed. And I think that's one of the challenges of GDPR, that it's not necessarily you know, specified, it talks about security measures, organizational and technical measures, but it doesn't tell you what kind of grade of security or organizational measures are, are required. So again, there's a degree of kind of determination from a controller or a processor as to what would be adequate to be able to meet that requirement of GDPR. Yeah, something I want to ask you because you are uh, very into privacy, you know, very well this, this topic. Something I heard and I read and a few times is that people say that privacy is dead. Now, something that particularly makes me makes me cringe. <laughs> what is your take on this? Yeah, it's it's the old adage. I have nothing to hide. You know, I think it's uh, it's all in all more clear that people don't necessarily. They might be happy to be signed up for social media services and understand that you know that there's a degree of of sharing between their personal information and the free service. 
And I think that that's okay, but you might have nothing to hide, but you have anything to lose. So like if we saw just the other day, so Jack Dorsey in, in Twitter, you know, he got his Twitter account hacked and that was via kind of his, his phone number. So everything is fine and hunky-dory as long as nothing is going wrong. But as soon as something happens, then people go, well, that's my private information that shouldn't be shouldn't be requested of me and it should be kept safe. And even just today, I saw another Facebook incident, one of a multitude where their telephone numbers are freely available on a server that can be accessed via the web. So these are really kind of terrifying scenarios. And I've worked in, in data breaches where, you know, it might be some information is compromised, but it leads to, you might think it's kind of not too important if your Twitter password is compromised, but there's a lead in then And it's a bridge into other information that can be gleaned from that account, which will then lead to a subsequent major data breach. So it might be a banking fraud. It might be downloading of your passport to make an illegal passport copy of your information. So there are serious consequences. So, So people kind of see privacy as, you know, well, it's one matter. But privacy and security go hand in hand. And they're self-supporting with each other. So they, they reinforce each other. And I think that, you know, if you look at privacy by design, even just when you're designing product, is the server secure? Is it safe? So there's a marriage between privacy and security, which is really important. And just because data is kept secure doesn't mean that the processing is illegal. So if a school asks for a child's blood type in addition to their registration details for the school year, that data might be stored securely in a military-grade type of environment, but its processing in itself may be illegal. So there are serious implications for that. And I think that's why like identity management, especially now in the era of phishing and SIM swap frauds and other type of exploits involving personally identifiable data, are really key to managing customer experiences from a security perspective and that assurance that there is proper validation and verification as to who the user is, regardless of the, the services that they're using. Yeah, so digital identity and, and privacy also go hand in hand. I think GDPR is probably 40% security and 60% privacy. So I think if I'm offering any services that are offered throughout the European Union, there needs to be a degree of validation that I can identify myself as a user. So I'm sure you've you've kind of had it before. So But, you know, I've traveled quite a lot for work and I see the kind of grade of customer validation within Germany and Hungary and other countries around there is probably at a higher standard than it would be in some of the more poorer nations. And like that enables fraud and it enables customer exploit information to be had. And the problem is, right, so these guys, this is their job, like they're pros. If you're a, a hacker or a information exploiter, You know, they treat it as a full-time job and it pays well. So you're not necessarily dealing with opportunistic types of individuals. They are dedicated professionals who know how to scam. And that's that's really important. So I think identity management enables, you know, a single type of authentication that this is the user that I'm that I'm dealing with, you know. So and I think it, it actually goes hand in hand with like some of the e-commerce driven benefits of GDPR. So, so as I said, I'm in Germany quite a lot at the moment traveling and the data portability requirement of GDPR to be able to transfer your data from one provider to another. So you might be moving from bank A to bank B, 
and you can simply download your data and then provide that to the new bank. So, so you're not actually providing new information. There's a transit of information between the two data controllers, which enables your identification and your account creation. So that's really kind of a beneficial thing as well. It's, it's an e-commerce driven requirement of GDPR, but it's also like highly beneficial for customers. You've been already discussing several aspects of GDPR. What are the, the challenges and what are the, the advantages of that already in practice? GDPR is the is this general data protection regulation that it's for the European Union, affects the European Union. And you are based in, in Ireland and we've been talking about countries in continental Europe, but in the Middle East, the United Kingdom, they're still in the European Union, but we have this new phenomenon that we don't know what's going to happen, but it's called Brexit. How all this landscape of privacy has been affected by, by Brexit? Yeah, it's especially an important issue for, for Ireland. So, you know, having, I've worked in the UK, um, obviously lived in the UK, so very sorry to, to see our, our neighbours on the trajectory that they are on. At the same time, I think it's kind of ironic, you know, I, I think that probably one of the best, if not the best, supervisory authorities in the EU is the, the ICO, the, the Information Commission uh, based in the UK, who are extremely diligent in enforcement and also in consultation with uh, data controllers and data processors as to what their obligations are. And, and like this is dating back, I think probably, you know, 15, 20 years. This is, you know, all prior to GDPR. So I think it's sorry to see one of our leading European regulators not being a member of the, the EU any further, potentially, if and when, or when and if Brexit happens. So that's a real sad story. But I think for, you know, in front of mind for UK businesses, they're obviously concerned that, you know, essentially the UK is going to become a third party country. So and a third party country means that you're not on the list of obviously being a European member. So you're kind of starting from scratch from in the context of how adequate your controls are. So that's a real challenge that whether you're a controller or a processor based in the UK, you're not meeting the same kind of standard or you'll need to prove that you will meet the same sort of standard uh, either via an adequacy decision from the European Commission, which is difficult to, to come by and takes many years of negotiation often. Uh, so Japan is the, the latest country to be recognized, but that, that took years of negotiation that they would meet the same kind of standards. Further than you know, the privacy shield, so it has its challenges in itself in terms of its effectiveness, but you know, it is something that was negotiated between the United States and the European Commission and Switzerland to say that these US businesses will meet European standard type of data privacy regime. And now the UK is no longer a member of those EU member states potentially in the coming months. So it won't be able to benefit from having, if, if there is data processing and transfers happening to the US, that it won't be able to hold that as a party of the EU to say that it's a privacy shield member. So that's the key issues. So there's probably a flurry of contract lawyers who are rolling out new controls. So, you know, there are solutions in place. So whether it's standard contractual clauses um, to be deployed into data processing agreements or binding corporate rules, which would be legally binding and then would at least afford some protection. So, you know, you'll find that many EU controllers already established these types of agreements with 
you know, if they're trading in, in China or in, in Russia or somewhere else, that they would implement these types of contractual controls to be able to meet GDPR requirements for, for processing in that region. So for businesses that are, let's say, in, in, in the European Union, in the case that the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, the businesses that do business with the UK, how they will be affected in this case? Just European Union and the UK in, in the case that they are, they are out. So if controllers, if you're a, a business that has, say, outsourced business processing operations that are supported from the UK and you don't have the proper contractual controls in place, then basically that, that processing would become illegal, right, under GDPR. And so it's also important to remember, you know, the ICO and the UK government has been, you know, steadfast in saying that it will implement GDPR-style controls in any case, whether they're in the European Union or not. And the Data Protection Act 2018 is already in place and you know, protects the rights of UK individuals in terms of how their data is processed. So that's, that's really key. So I think there's so much kind of cloud movement, I guess, predominantly AWS, Amazon, uh, and Microsoft pretty much have the, the cloud business sewn up. So a lot of it is kind of EU, US-based data processing in any case. But I think from a UK business perspective, if you're a processor that is based in the UK that is providing services for an EU company, then you need to be able to make sure that, you know, the controller has the appropriate contractual clauses in place with you. And like, it's kind of a mutual responsibility. So the controller is in charge of how the data is processed, but the processor is still needs to be able to make sure that they inform the controller that there are adequate kind of protections in place. So I think that's really important. So any processing that's happening, In the UK, you know, whether you're a controller or a processor, if you're offering services in the EU, then you must meet the EU obligations in terms of GDPR. And again, so, you know, if you look at a big UK-based businesses, so let's take, for example, you know, if you're a bank, HSBC, for example, offering services in the EU, you know, you're a UK-based controller and you'll have EU customers across your, your base you'll need to have a data protection officer and appointed representative for those operations in addition to your UK registration. So that's really, really, really key. Well, sounds a bit complicated, yes. <laughs> well, let's move now to the opportunities. What are the opportunities that organizations have today by, by taking privacy and deal identity seriously? Yeah, it's a good, good question. So, you know, I recently worked on projects outside of the EU where there's often the case there's no data protection law at all. So there's no kind of a floor in terms of compliance that needs to be dealt with, right? So what kind of protections and measures need to be implemented if you've no legal obligation to do so? If you think about it from a business processing perspective, right? So it's a bit like the cease processing order where you're told to stop processing. So if you have a, a service which suffers a major outage from a security so say you lose a, you lose your entire crm database your customer relationship management database and you can't market anymore and you can't bill customers that has much probably larger implications than any type of potential fine so if you look at it through the lens of business integrity and resilience in terms of being able to provide services 
that's probably more of a concern than any compliance angle. So, you know, and then it's win-win. So, you know, if you've got good secure and data minimization strategy, then if there is an outage or there is an issue, at least, you know, it's been contained within the best it can be. So it's again, like security and privacy go hand in hand. And sometimes the stick is not always the law. The stick is actually, well, you know, we need to be able to maintain and keep these services operational um, or else we don't have a business. So privacy can just be a spin-off from that. Privacy and security can be a spin-off from that. So I think that's the major upshot. Because if, if you're a company even heavily dependent on investment or on some type of funding and you have a major accident. So if you look at the British Airways, public knowledge, major issue with their website, which was outsourced to a development agency, which then brought along the challenges and problems from the information compromise of its customers, one of whom I was affected. So, you know, that in itself, regardless of any kind of GDPR or other type of data protection regime, the maintenance, security, and resilience of the service is kind of key to kind of building customer trust, maintaining your shareholder value, maintaining your integrity as a responsible business when it comes to security and privacy. So the fact that you have to take care of the, the key business, right? you, you mentioned one CRM, CRM database in one company, and in the second case you mentioned that the user's data was compromised in this in this case, which is the key business beyond the GDPR fine, etc. So that's already an incentive for for companies to take privacy very seriously. Absolutely. Like if you think like British Airways, so they're a multi-channel business. So you know you can British Airways, they're not the only airline that obviously suffers from from challenges, but they offer you know services via an app, via a website via broker agencies, via co-chair agreements with other airlines. So they're multifaceted in terms of their channel and their vector opportunity of attack from a, a malicious standpoint. But if you're, say, an app provider, so you provide the latest app, which is popular, you've got the best security, you've got the best privacy notice, you've got you know data minimization, you've got the whole thing locked down, you've got paying users, you know things are looking good. But then you, as part of your cost strategy, you decide to outsource the app development to a third-party development agency in some other far corner of the world. And you don't have a data protection agreement with them and they implement a change in the app. So while it might be secure, you know, perhaps they change one of the permissions and they decide to access the camera or GPS information of the device and that's not reflective of the privacy notice. That's a privacy failure. And So dealing with it, one customer recently, I said, look, if I was a, a European-based regulator, you know, I could operate and conduct my investigation from my desktop, you know, and I could get a slam dunk fine in terms of an infringement of GDPR without even having to do an investigation or go and visit the premises and do a raid or anything like that. So especially having the, the front face of your uh, services, you know, they need to be crystal clear in terms of privacy and security. And then you need to maintain your supply chain to make sure that they are providing quality services for you in terms of your expectations of them as a controller and what they deliver as a processor. So that's, you know, I think app development is a key feature of that, you know, from a risk perspective that when things go wrong and you're not really in charge of the controls or you're not doing your privacy and security assurance of the controls, from that app developer or that 
CRM database administrator, then it can land you on the hook for an infringement of, of privacy regulation. Mm, yeah, agree. That's another great example. Julian, now we're towards the end of this conversation with you. Could you leave us with a, a practical tip, some actionable advice that we can, anybody can use, not, not, not only experts in privacy or identity, anybody can use to protect their privacy? Sure. Like I think um, from a user perspective, I think I've got two points. Like basically from a user perspective, always be careful of what you share. And, you know, good password management is really key. There's a lot of data breaches that happen because of poor user password management. So you might be compromised from one app or one service, but you've used that password on other services so, and they'll have a go. You know, so they'll just, they'll shop around and go, I'll try Microsoft or I'll try Facebook or I'll try Google and see if that's the same password. The other one, I think your, your primary email. So like I use obviously mail clients as well, but if I have access to your primary email, it's the gateway to, to all your services, right? So, and this goes back to the identity management piece that if I'm in your Gmail, then I can reset your password for any of the other services that I can search for. I think that's really, really key. And then from a controller perspective, so as a business, I think being able to build and record a proper data management register as to what data do we process, where do we process it, is there duplication, is it costing us extra money to store it further, what savings can we make? That's kind of a number one, it's a key requirement to GDPR from personally identifiable data. But it's also kind of a good insight into your business operations and reduction in duplication or wasted effort in data processing. So I think that's, again, privacy might be the, the compliance floor. The actual initiative in itself will have beneficial spin-offs in terms of you know, getting a greater understanding of your, your business. Yeah, thanks a lot, Julian, for this very insightful conversation about privacy. Please let us know how we can find you on the internet. What are the best ways to get in touch with you? Our website is uh, Veneto Privacy Services. So you can Google it. It'll come up straight away. And my email address is uh, julian at venetoprivacy.ie. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Julian, and all the best. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks for listening. Let's Talk About Digital Identity is produced by UBSecure. Be sure to subscribe and visit ubisecure.com slash podcast to join the conversation and access the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ubisecure or find us on LinkedIn. Until next time, 